Welcome to the At Her Best podcast for the modern courageous woman who pursues her passion and hustles with heart. My name is Minji Wong and our producer is Pauline Yang. Please join us on this journey as we create and iterate on our first series. Today's guest is Dion Lin. As many of you may know, Dion is a news anchor and reporter at ABC7 News in San Francisco. She is one of the first and only Asian American anchor women in many of the cities that she has lived in and is a recipient of many Emmy Awards. She is the author of Make Your Moment, the Savvy Women's Communication Playbook to, to Getting the Success You Want. She's also a sought after speaker and MC and has hosted many events uh, with several VIPs. She was named as one of broadcasting and cable magazine's top 25, 24 leaders in media. Welcome, Dion. Hi, thanks so much for having me. That's a weird title, right? Who makes it top 24? <laughs> like it's gotta be 25 or top 20. And this was back when I was under 34, which is also a strange number, but all of that aside, awesome to be here. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I'm just so excited to speak with you. You're an incredibly powerful, influential, Asian American woman leader. And I'm super excited uh, to have you here. So as you know, we're still in the pandemic, one year in and counting. And so with that said, I know that the pandemic has brought a lot, especially a lot of spotlights around racism, xenophobia and discrimination, especially around Asian American people. So I'd love to hear more about what you've been doing this past year. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a constant state of my brain exploding, honestly, like I joke about it, but it's kind of sort of true um, because obviously, you know, you know about this and many Asian Americans have have witnessed this in the news. Um, but with the onset of the coronavirus pandemic also came a rise in another virus, and that is the virus of racism, um, especially because of the continued use of China virus, this misinformation that Asian people spread the virus, that it started with a bat and that we eat bats and are dirty. So um, for me, I have been covering extensively the xenophobia, the hate, the racism toward the Asian American community. And it is at a fever pitch that I have never experienced before. I mean, yeah. <laughs> living and growing up in very rural, non-diverse places is one thing, but being in San Francisco, being in the Bay Area, somewhere where I was excited to be because of the diversity and the level of tolerance, acceptance, and then to see day after day after day, no joke, dozens of instances of someone being spit on or getting an email about someone's mother being beat up because they're Asian. Um, you know, I think it's it's been a little overwhelming, to say the least. Wow, and I'm assuming that you continue to to highlight and 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 um, document these things. And so, what are some common themes that you see as a result of this? Yeah. Oh gosh, common themes are people don't want to talk about it, right? Like it's super yeah. taboo. Like growing up, even my mom always told me, keep your head down, keep your nose clean. She, I don't think, even liked me reporting on these issues because in her mind, it was bringing negative light to Asian Americans, saying that we are victimized. Victim, that word is shameful enough and it's not bringing honor. You should just highlight all the good things that are happening. And I told her, I said, you know, we cannot begin to stand up for ourselves if we keep all of these stories in the dark. So something, a current theme uh, that's been ongoing is 
the discussion of it's okay to share what goes on because unless you do, unless you do, nobody is going to know that this is a problem. So many times during the course of this pandemic, I've heard, oh yeah, racism is not a real thing. Racism is is just something that the media, the fake news is trying to perpetuate to get clicks and likes on their website. And I say, no, how can you deny it? It's happening to these folks. And then at the same time, I've been sharing, um, you know, the pushback and the hate that I've been getting as well. Oh, so, I mean, I, what I'm hearing is, is you have been continuously putting a spotlight and a big highlight, especially around racism and racism that uh, has continued to grow as a result of this pandemic. I'm also hearing too, a certain degree of being able to speak up and out, especially around, you know, when, when crime or just when hatred happens, oftentimes as Asian American people, we don't necessarily do that. Do you think that may be a big reason for why crime continues to happen? A thousand percent. I mean, I've had law enforcement tell me off the record that obviously they can't say this on TV in an interview with me, but that, yeah, because traditional Asian American households, uh, let's say, carry a lot of cash or maybe have that language barrier, they are less apt to file a police report or to call 911. They have that mentality that, oh, let's just move on and continue not a big deal when really having your life savings taken out of your home and to be beat up um, you know, and dragged through a tunnel all for less than $100 in your purse. I mean, it, it kind of... It, it speaks for itself. And something interesting now that I think about it is that these instances happen and oftentimes they're caught on camera and they're leaked to me from someone else who wants to show their support. They don't want to necessarily speak out themselves, but they want the other person to speak out. They want the person who has been victimized. So this is their roundabout way in doing it and showing their allyship, which has been an interesting process. I didn't really think about it uh, until this, this phenomenon um, really started with the pandemic. And I am so glad that you're actually taking this platform to really put that spotlight around important topics that matter for Asian American people and people of color. What are some resources or recommendations that you have for other people who, as you had mentioned, may actually want to speak up in a roundabout way or perhaps in an indirect way uh, that can still be proactive versus not doing or not saying anything at all? Mm -hmm. I think the simple act of sharing with one person can spark that domino effect. And oftentimes with people who have been victimized, they say to me later, or a family member says to me later, that's been kind of therapeutic, letting it go. It's almost like being in a, in a shrink's office, right? You're just kind of letting that waterfall of emotion and all of these things that you've had bottled up inside, just kind of let go. Um, and I would say that speaking to one person can give you the, I guess, self-assuredness that you're not crazy for feeling the way you do. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was bullied as a kid, I carried uh, the image of this young man who called me chink, and I'll never forget it. This was in school. This was in art class. I could almost picture, you know, the terribly drawn art that we had made. Um, and I had carried that along with me 
for many, many years. And it wasn't until this pandemic started and we all started talking about our own shared experiences that I started telling people on social media or in an op-ed that I wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle that this had happened. And I was petrified because I wasn't sure if this was proper etiquette for a TV news anchor to even say the word chink. Um, especially because there had been some debate over whether or not we should even use it uh, on the air. But I realized that there were so many other kids who also wished they were white growing up. There were so many others who had had, had it far worse and constantly from other people who were of the same background that they expected to have that support from. So uh, that also helped me feel like I did have a voice for real and that I wasn't just, uh, you know, sharing the voices of others, but at this time, it was important to also share my own. So in a roundabout way, this is just me saying, by telling one person, it can give you the confidence to then maybe have a group discussion or be part of a podcast that reaches so many more people. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is is also just be that one person, the uh, catalyst, right? That creates the domino effect. And I think part of that is also communicating and sharing that you're not alone and that people have these shared experiences and struggles. Uh, I was doing some research. I think there's another resource, it's called Hollaback. So hollaback.org. They have incredible training and these are all free resources, especially around anti-discrimination, anti-harassment, especially around people of color um, and especially around xenophobia. Uh, so I'm curious, You've been in many cities all across the, the states. And so how has your upbringing influenced you to where you are today? And knowing that we live here in San Francisco and still of all progressive cities, of all melting pots of the city, racism persists and is not only persisting, but it's, it's, it's very widespread. How has racism impacted you? This is a great question because early in my career, um, I always thought it was kind of a novelty, right? Like I would joke, oh, you know, I'm just here because I'm Asian. I'm here because I'm young. I'm here because I'm not making a lot of money. And it could not be further from the truth. I did not understand the meaning of representation. And for me, I've always said Connie Chung was my role model, still continues to be because she still speaks out to this day. Um, but my career took me to very rural parts of the United States um, and to very non-diverse places as well, um, meaning parts of Kansas and Missouri. And then I was an anchor in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Tampa Bay, Florida. And in all of those places, I was, like you mentioned, the first Asian American woman to be at the helm of not just a newscast, because I was not relegated to the weekends, which is a place where I think a lot of minorities often find themselves. Um, yeah. But Monday through Friday, and in Charlotte and in Tampa Bay, I was the face of the television station, which had never happened before. I mean, in all of the spots, I was there to represent the station for the entire demographic, so or the entire market. Um, so I, I always share this funny story because the title of my book was originally supposed to be the working title, Hey, I'm Not Connie Chung, because every time I would go out <laughs> in public, oh my God, people would wave and they would say, hey, news lady, hey, hey, instead of saying my name, they would say, hey, Connie Chung. And I, again, thought it was funny. I thought it was kind of amusing. It would make a great story. Um, but in a way, this was 
racism. It was, it was ignorance, yes, but it takes on a lot of forms. And I think during this process, I've learned that racism uh, looks different in every circumstance. And the way that you handle it um, really can make or break, um, you know, how you succeed in, you know, overcoming the, the, the racism and being okay with yourself, uh, not only in the work setting, but out in public. And I would say that because, yes, there were genuinely people who did not understand that I did not eat Panda Express and that my mother does not make Mandarin orange chicken. Um, and then there's a difference between the people who think that, you know, who just blatantly say, oh, you're dirty. You know, I think you probably eat bats and other raw animals from a wet market. So how has racism touched you this year? Have oh. you been, have you observed anything happen to you firsthand? This is a great question. Okay, if, if you can bear with me, I'm going to pull this up. Um, I've always gotten a lot of trolls, right? Or um, viewer mail, viewer hate mail yeah. or viewer comments. And, and this is par for the course, but um, a, a letter that I received um, maybe about two weeks ago, I mean, my mouth was on the ground when I when I got this, and I was so shocked and appalled that I read it in front of my whole newsroom because because they also you know were curious as to why I let out a little yelp uh, when I saw it. So um, if I could read part of it to you, it is addressed sure. to Connie Chung Lim, and it is it the return address is from MAGA as in Make American Great Again Yaki Choi Kim, so not a real name. Dear Lim, not even my first name, Dear Lim, your reportage, not reporting, is terrible. If you wanna be an activist, leave journalism. Those discrimination spots are just isolated incidents. I'm glad that your lady coworkers ridicule you to your face. And then he goes on to try and cut me down, saying that other coworkers make more money than I do, or um, my station should fire me and bring back other Asian American women instead. Um, so for me to be called an activist for just reporting on stories that matter to me and matter to our community, um, I mean, I almost have to laugh. Like, it is comical. It is so bad. But I also uh, got a few comments the other day. There was a, a nonprofit that had you know, given, I think, 600 toys to new immigrant children in Chinatown. And it was great. It was a wonderful story. Um, I myself had wanted to be there personally. That's how much, you know, I wanted to support the cause. Um, I posted that one day. It got a lot of great feedback. But in the comments section, I noticed, I think maybe that same day or the day after, some people were, you know, using words like ching chong or look look at these, you know, Chinamen or I, I forgot what the exact words were. But all I could think of was this is really pathetic if someone feels the need to be so cruel for a story that's so heartwarming and touches a community that probably borders yours. So um, yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, and one other one that sticks out in my mind, I love this, is it was addressed from a bakery in San Francisco. I don't know if this was just a fake address or not, but it was a real bakery, um, basically saying that my reporting uh, was, was terrible and that newly immigrant Chinese people need not be in this country. And I actually approached the bakery and asked them flat out if an employee or the owner had written this to me. Uh, it was vehemently denied, but 
I don't know. I, it, you know, it's one of those mysteries, but it certainly does make a good story. And whenever I do share these things, um, I do get a lot of feedback from people who say, oh, you know, uh, this is how I would handle it. it. It starts a discussion. What I observe is everything that you do requires so much courage. And for you to show up a thousand percent every day. And I wonder, like, how does this affect you? How does this impact you, especially with the emotional attacks of perhaps being the only, right? The only Asian American woman, the, perhaps the only woman of color or person of color, even anywhere around you, when you have to document and when you have to spotlight and when you have to share about violent things and just very nasty stuff. Like, what do you do for self-care and what do you do to preserve yourself, especially when this emotional tax? I always super appreciate it when people like you are thoughtful and actually ask, you know, how are you doing? Because I think that's yeah. a question, you know, no matter what field you happen to be in during this pandemic is really important to just check in with, with other people. Um, I will say this, there was a time, maybe it was in May, maybe even April, after uh, I had a string of incidents where people were sending me surveillance video of grandmas being beaten up or elderly people being shoved in the street, uh, their Rolexes stolen off their wrists. And I remember going home, sitting in the bathtub and just letting it all out. I mean, it was like a waterfall of tears. And I had called a couple of my colleagues and I said, hey, are you guys dealing with this as well? Um, one was an African-American woman, another, you know, was a Jewish woman. And in their own ways, they're all kind of dealing with a level of trauma and PTSD, whether it be from reporting the number of deaths um, and the hospital capacity in an ICU, or for me, you know, it just happens to be crimes toward Asian Americans. And for my African-American coworker, it was obviously uh, the social unrest and the uh, social justice component um, with the shooting and killing of these unarmed, you know, black men and women. And I realized that I need to separate as best I can. And I think you've mentioned this to me before that you enjoy going out in the outdoors. And I think the body yeah. um, kind of getting it to a state of fatigue physically helps me because, you know, aside from all the endorphins and all of those things that medical professionals tell you that exercising can do, um, it makes me forget about the exercising of my brain trying to process all of these terrible incidents. So, um, I think my body, uh, you know, being in a state of utter exhaustion, and that gives me a moment to realize, okay, I'm so tired, I'm so achy, I'm so sweaty, I'm so gross, I'm just going to take care of, of me for a moment and, you know, feel, feel, <laughs> feel like I don't have to take care of the other part. So what I'm hearing is, uh, in many ways, you're experiencing a bit of PTSD, or you are experiencing some trauma, especially around everything that you've been you've been covering recently. And what I'm hearing is, is you go outside, you go out to nature, you exercise <laughs> to a point of fatigue. What else do you do? Like what else do you do for mental health, especially during this pandemic where we're stuck, we're isolated from friends, assuming that you're an extrovert. I'm a bit of an introvert, so for me, I'm I'm kind of okay. <laughs> I do need to exercise, so I hear you, you know, in terms of getting out of your mind and into your body. What would you recommend for, for all of us who may be suffering from mental health, especially yeah. around 
being able to, again, if we want to be that warrior, if we want to be that activist, to being our best. Um, for, for me, I self-admittedly did a lot of online shopping and all that, <laughs> which is bad. Don't do it, people. It's not good for you because think about it. How isolating is it to be on your computer or like on your phone and you're scrolling through all these sales thinking, okay, I just need that dopamine hit of a new toy, like a new handbag or something like that. I mean, look at behind me, all of these clothes for work. <laughs> got them. Um, but uh, you know what was remarkable is the other day, I have friends from all over the country, just from my travels of where I've lived. A few of them picked up the phone and didn't just call me, but they FaceTimed me. But they FaceTimed Ooh. me in the middle of cooking or in the middle of getting a bath ready at the end of the day. And I was like, oh my God, I'm being led into this person's world. Um, and I think we don't do that often enough because we get these texts from people, hey friend, just checking in to see how you're doing, which is fine. And I appreciate that. But I think the act of actually, if you cannot go over someone's home and visit with them, um, you know, the, the, the FaceTime calls have actually been really special. And I think being able to have a, you know, a silly virtual escape room some days, or I have really enjoyed just buying something small as a a token of appreciation or just something and dropping it off at someone's home. Because even though I cannot see them, I can then later connect with them and then have a conversation around something so simple. So I don't know, I think small ways of just showing that you're there. And I always apply this to the workplace as well, because sometimes all people want, the lowest common denominator is someone to listen sometimes. And by showing that, whether it be through a FaceTime or through a pumpkin bread that you've made and dropped off and put in someone's mailbox, um, I think it speaks volumes. I mean, the other day I had uh, a younger coworker who I almost consider to be like, you know, my mentee, you know, she was going through some, some issues with her job. And I just said, hey, look, let's, let's go have a coffee in the park and maybe just walk socially distanced or, you know, you can be in my one person bubble in San Francisco <laughs> and that's all. And it was just this big relief, this, this big, like, yes, finally, please, can we do this? Because I think people are clamoring for that social interaction. So I hear you, that human connection. Well, first of all, retail therapy, that dopamine hit, not that bad. <laughs> and then, you know, when, when gift for you, five for me, uh, but what I'm also hearing too is as humans, even just that basic connection. And I think I would say ironically, because I'm so zoomed out, we're on zoom already right now. Sometimes I even feel like a phone call, even without video works for me, but with you FaceTime and doing things that are just probably every day, right? When people are getting ready or when they're cooking. What comes to mind is you asked me about, you know, grow, the way I grew up and yeah. how that kind of shaped things. You know, I have a very uh, tiger mom, even though she will deny all of it. And then I also have a very traditional dad who worked, you know, at his job as a scientist for 12 hours a day, every single day, barely ever took a vacation day. And here they are dealing with this very Americanized child of theirs. And 
they know very little about me. You know, they never really wanted to listen to what I was going through because the solution was always to ignore it. The solution was always to, um, you know, just move on and be strong. Don't cry because you only cry at my funeral, things like that. So yeah, I think more than ever, and especially for people who may have grown up with parents who did not show a lot of emotion, um, to be okay to, to be a little bit vulnerable. I know that as we were getting ready for this recording of this podcast, you know, you were like, oh, is this okay? You know, you know, can we ask these kind of invasive questions? And yeah. Like, ah. Because in a way, this has helped me through my career and also through my life uh, cope and deal with those those big challenges. Um, and, and that especially applies now. Thank you. And so thank you for also being willing to uh, share a little more about your inner world to us. So I wanted to pivot a bit because not only are you a badass, but you also are an incredible author and writer. And so I'd love to hear more about your book. Uh, so make your moment. And, and more importantly, you know, especially with, with those insights from, from you know, crafting that book and, and offering that book, what are some specific recommendations that you may have for women in the workplace? And I think, especially now, you know, we, you had just referenced how I, I had asked, is this okay? Are you okay if you can get personal and just, you know, cut through the BS? And so I'd like to hear more about, you know, your, your insights, but, but more importantly, how to be vulnerable when it's so hard, when it feels so hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, well, first off, thank you for asking. I appreciate that, um, you know, your interest in it. Um, and it's just, it's just funny to me because uh, I am not self-admittedly the best writer by any means, because when you think about it, writing 80,000 words compared to writing a two-minute story every day, that's supposed to be... <laughs> conversational tones. And I was never a very good uh, student writing those long essays. So this is kind of a miracle that this happened. I've wanted to do this, you know, for more than five years. So um, I'm really relieved that it's, it's all out in the open now. Um, you know, I think finding an ally, you know, is such a, is a buzzy term right now, but as I was writing this book, that was not a term, you know, nobody talked about allyship, nobody had PSAs on television saying, this is how you can take action, things like that. Um, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to write a step-by-step -step handbook, not only sharing stories of what it was like being an Asian American woman in a very male and white dominated workplace, but to also provide things that were tangible examples and then also strategies on how to tackle each. Because so oftentimes, um, and I've spoken a great amount of uh, on this before um, in, in previous events, that we are always told as women right, to beat our chests and to scream and to use our voice, but nobody actually says, how do you use your voice? And an example I'll give you is, uh, I once had a coworker, I shall not mention where, who would always comment on women's bodies. I mean, it was really disgusting and nobody ever said a word. And I would always look around thinking, did everybody else hear the same thing that I did? He just commented on the Kardashian's butt or something like that. Totally inappropriate, made me feel a little skeevy inside. Um, and, and sometimes it's not going to HR. Sometimes it's not raising a big stink. Sometimes it is using some humor, right? Being like, hey, how would you like it if I talked about your, you know, your body or your daughter's body, something like that? 
that, um, but kind of fine tuning and tailoring your response in a way to get others to listen to you. I think the late Ruth, uh, late Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a very, very prominent quote, well-known quote um, about how your goal is to get everybody on board with you, but you have to do it so that they'll want to listen. And I think, you know, even if you don't scream it from the mountaintops, hey, this is wrong. For example, you can maybe later, a week later, just be like, hey, you know, I just want you to know that I didn't feel that way. Or, hey, I just wanted to share with you that in a roundabout way, um, you know, I've had I've, I've had lots of male coworkers be chauvinists, things like that. And just these small, tiny shows of support kind of culminate and they kind of snowball into a, a point where you guys can have a conversation and have a more harmonious, I think, um, workplace as a whole. Okay, so I'm curious. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective and distinction. Um, you used allyship, especially around a specific cause or an issue. I'm wondering how that may relate to sponsorship or mentorship. Yeah, that's a good question. I've never really thought about this before. Um, I would say that allyship always seems to take on such a formal title along with mentorship. But I think allyship can be something as simple as, you know, showing your support in maybe not so conventional ways because mentorship everyone always thinks of it as okay well here i am every wednesday at three o'clock i'm going to meet with my mentee and we are going to spend an hour together talking about linkedin and how we are going to go <laughs> forth in the job search but allyship is you know it's, it's free-flowing it is ongoing it can happen out in public i mean when you're in chinatown and you see somebody uh who uh, this actually happened to me <laughs> I have this neighbor who is confined to a wheelchair. He has a flag on his wheelchair. He smokes pot and enjoys his life. He basks out in the sun. Um, he's, he's a really, really fun character. Um, and he needed, I think, some help down in Chinatown because there was a big curb and he was on his way to get his weekly cheesesteak. Too many details. <laughs> know. Um, but no one was really helping him, you know, get up on the curb. So I mean, it's just that simple gesture. So that next time when you pass him, he'll know, okay, this person is there for me. This is a very basic response to your question. But I firmly believe that getting to that, that lowest common denominator in that sense um, is the difference. Yes, you do have to work 10 times harder. Um, but eventually, the hard work is one component and yes, nobody can ever take that away from you, but that you wield a lot more power than you may know. I touched upon this earlier in that I used to joke that I was only here to represent because I had to meet some kind of quota, but okay, maybe I am here to reach a quota. So what? There's only so much you can do by being there. It's going that one step further, that when you are in that editorial meeting and someone says, oh, I didn't realize racism was a problem. Do we need to cover all this Trayvon Martin stuff? Is your job is to have that perspective to say yes and to actually say something. It's scary. It is a little out of people's comfort zone to, to do that because what, you know, I think we're always taught to just kind of, yes, let's just go with the flow. But being in the industry that I'm in, 
the whole point of an editorial meeting is to have the convergence of all of these minds, all of these perspectives, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and, you know, their upbringings. And that's a powerful thing. And all of the change that we see, can it couldn't happen if it were not for one person to say, hey, this isn't quite right. I had an example a number of years ago, there was a nursery that had advertised on a giant billboard, Jap maples for sale. Mm. And no, there was not a large Japanese population where I happened to be living, but I knew that it upset me. I knew it upset another subset of the community. I brought it up and granted, nobody knew why that was offensive. Nobody <laughs> understood. They said, oh, it's just a, an abbreviation for Japanese. And I said, yes, but that's the point. Um, we didn't end up covering the story, but that was okay. I, at least I changed one person's thinking in maybe the next time they saw that term, maybe not taking it for granted. So I would say to others that don't forget how special your perspective is and don't be afraid to use it in some way or another. It could be as bold as, as speaking out like that, you know, as I did in that editorial meeting, or it can be on social media and clicking a like button on Asians Never Die or on some of these social media accounts because that matters and that will culminate into something much greater. What are you doing to develop yourself? either personally or professionally? Are there any podcasts? Are there any resources? Are there any things that you're doing right now to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's always this uh, level of wanting to learn and to get better and to kind of um, maybe not pivot, but kind of readjust and retune the way you've been doing things. And especially now, you know, when budgets are getting shrunk and people are getting laid off, you kind of try and think of ways to make yourself stand out and the ways that you can adapt. For me, um, I used to think early in my career, especially when I was younger, that everyone was competition, especially other Asian American women were competition because that's how I was brought up is that it was all a game. It was all a race to the finish line and to be number one. Um, over the past, you know, several years, I've really gotten involved in, you know, different advocacy groups and with, uh, for example, Asian American Journalists Association and trying to connect with other people who have the same perspective. And that has been exceptionally interesting to me. Now I'm in some of these group chats and some of these Facebook online groups um, where we talk about some of the different issues that we're, we're dealing with and finding solutions to, you know, what those things may be. I think a lot of just getting out and seeing how others do their job, how others have been adapting, how asking people, how do you stay resilient through this? How yeah. have you dealt with some of these setbacks? It makes me a little bit tougher and it makes me better equipped to handle the, the mental stresses that being in this state, you know, has, has put me in. Well, thank you again so much, Dion. This conversation has been so insightful. Uh, again, you are such a powerhouse to really be able to use your scale, your influence to, to share and spotlight very uncomfortable conversations and very shocking incidents, especially around race and xenophobia and discrimination. So thank you for all that you do and, and continue on fighting. Thank you. I appreciate it so much.